Hello, everyone. Redcoat here. Cient here joins him. And we've got another podcast for you. we got a lot of them. <laughs> That's the idea anyway. Uh, so today we want to talk about a concept uh, that we're referring to as stages of development. So this is looking into what sort of stages a game goes through when it's being made. Those of you who have possibly gone through gaming colleges or uh, gaming curriculums may be familiar with some of the terms that we're putting out here, but this is for everyone, uh, everyone's benefit, and also to kind of demystify some of the things uh, in the general process, and also noting that it can be a little bit messy. In fact, it generally is pretty messy. Yeah, so something to keep in mind as we go through this is this is kind of a rough overview. Different studios will have different ideas of what different milestones look like. And that's actually an important term, milestone. That's another way to refer to stages of development, uh, particularly when you're working with a publisher. They will often have milestones at which you receive payment. So that sort of concept is very useful uh, to keep in mind when thinking about this. Um, the other thing that's useful to know is that some of these can kind of blend and blur together a little bit, and it's more of a continuum than discrete stages 100%. With that sort of warning out of the way, uh, let's begin. So at the very start of the development of a product, before you even get your hands dirty with any coding or drawing, well, maybe a little bit of drawing, but anything uh, really seriously hardcore, uh, you've got to do some pre-production. Yeah, so this is figuring out what you're going to make. This will often involve things like concept art. So that's where your drawing would come in, but you're not making art for the game. You might recycle some of the concept art for things like uh, loading screens and things like that. But in general, the idea of concept art is it's used to flush out what the world's going to look like, how things are going to feel, what characters are going to look like, that sort of thing. Uh, and then you're going to create a lot of documents, a lot of design documents. Yeah, you'll more than likely be creating a GDD or game design document which is the document that contains a lot of information on what your themes are, what you're trying to go for on your mechanical identity, the various elements of your Narvazod, using a term from a previous cast that's your narrative, visual, and audio uh, identity of your game. Just various things with regards to that. You'll also possibly be creating something called an art bible or a style guide, which these just help manage the visual element of your product. Yeah, so games, you can break them down roughly into three different components. The art, uh, well, now that I say that, there's actually like five. So let me revise that statement and go back to the beginning. So you have art, uh, that, that's one major area. So you're probably going to have some sort of documents to define what the art is going to look like. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's, as uh, Redcoat was saying, the style guide, art bible, whatever you want to call it. You have what the game design is going to be. So this is going to be what is the overall flow of the game, what levels you're going to have, what sort of enemies, what sort of whatever the player uses, what players you're going to have, who they are, all that sort of stuff, um, as well as like the the story and, and that, or at least a story overview anyway, that's going to be your game design document or GDD. Mm -hmm. You have the programming end of things. That's going to have a lot of technical details. What sort of engine you're going to use? Are you going to make your own? All those sorts of details are going to be in a technical design document or TDD. 
Uh, then you're also going to have sound effects stuff and music. Yep. That process is going to look a little different for different studios, depending upon how they have the audio stuff integrated into their development process, which can be a little messy. Yeah, generally speaking, the the audio section can be its own beast. Usually, there's at least an asset list, a general asset list saying, this is the kind of sound effects that we're looking for. This is the kind of feel we're looking for out of the sound. And also some notes on, okay, we're going to need this kind of music. So you might have a, a initial concept piece just saying, this is the style that we're going with. Yeah, what sort of instruments you're using, that sort of thing. Uh, but after pre-production or during it, there's a concept called prototyping. So this is where you're making a very simple version of the game or even simpler than that. It's not even trying to mimic the whole game. It's trying to allow you to capture mechanics in a way that allows you to actually be able to play with them or test them. So one of the things that's very important to understand is theory crafting mechanics doesn't get you very far in understanding them. Yeah, it's very true. Theory crafting will only get you so far as your experience can take you. And sometimes you don't have any experience because you're making something that no one has touched before. Yeah, so especially if you're making something new, you really need to make a prototype so you can play with it and test it. It is very easy to think you understand how a mechanic works. And then when you actually play with it, discover you were absolutely wrong. Most definitely. Uh, so prototyping is very important for understanding this. There's a lot of different ways of prototyping. Sort of the example that comes to my mind when I think of this process is uh, the team that made Narbacular Drop. So this is a spiritual predecessor to Portal. It was made as a student game at DigiPen Institute of Technology by a student team. Um, it is called Narbacular Drop, and it was kind of, think of more of a fantasy version of Portal, where you kind of had a dungeon that you're trying to escape from, and you had a lot of rolling stones. And lava. And I remember lava. lava and caves. Yeah, I remember falling in lava a lot. But it had that Portal mechanic. Uh, Valve Salton was like, oh, that's awesome, we're hiring you guys to make this. But they made an initial test of the game with a simple engine called Project Fun that they used to test this portal mechanic to see if it was any good. Clearly, they ended up deciding that it was, but this was a prototype that they made. It was not reminiscent of the final game. It was more or less a square screen that you could cast portals onto the various edges but it gave them an opportunity to try out the mechanic to get an idea for how it works so they could work with it they could understand if it was worth pursuing that they could make a game around it so doing this sort of prototyping thing especially very early is incredibly important for understanding mechanics especially ones that aren't as well known with that concept we've got the next item on our list which is the first playable yeah so this is the state that you reach when you have moved beyond prototype you actually have your game running in the game engine you're planning on it to run in and you can play it you can't probably play through it because there's probably not enough content the content that's there is probably placeholder or test stuff uh, just setups that way you can try out things and it's going to be in flux uh, it's going to constantly be changing because stuff is getting implemented during this process. It's going to be a very hectic time. Yeah, because after you've done your prototyping, you've got, an, hopefully, you've got an idea of what your core play is going to be. Uh, that's really what your prototyping time was for. When you're at first playable, you're solidifying your content development process, and you're also solidifying uh, the elements that make your content work. And uh, with first playable, usually you can make a vertical slice of your of what the rest of the gameplay is going to look like. Yeah, just quickly to define vertical slice, the idea here is you take a section of your game 
and you make it completely playable. Not necessarily completely finished, but you'll have, as much as you reasonably can, the ability to play through, say, a complete level, and it works, everything's functioning. As an example, in Ocarina of Time, if you just implement the the Deku Tree dungeon, Mm -hmm. right, just that, none of the rest of the game works, or, like, it's a big white box, but you can move through the dungeon, you can get keys, open doors, unlock stuff, collect your slingshot, and beat the boss. And maybe there's some areas that are, are a little rough or a little buggy, but you can play through that part. That would be the concept of a vertical slice. Yeah, I think one other example, although it's a little bit further along than first playable, but this is an, at least a kind of example. I would think the demo that was released for Bloodstained as of recent, I think. Yeah, so the Bloodstained demo, uh, the E3 demo that they recently, as of the recording of this podcast, I guess it's been a little bit, but released to the public was indeed kind of a first playable sort of vertical slice uh, experience. Yeah, it was definitely a vertical slice and basically saying, this is what you can expect from gameplay. Here is a general gist of some of the things we're going to do with this. Here's where we're going to go. Yeah, the mechanics are there. It's very bare bone, but the mechanics are there and you can see that they've gotten the skeleton in place. After that comes the very messy process between first playable and alpha. And once you hit alpha, the sort of idea of it is you have the majority of your content in, there's still going to be rough patches. Everything's in place in kind of a broad sense, but there's going to be a lot of refinement. You might still have a few assets that are placeholders. Placeholder music might still be going on to some extent, stuff like that. And there's going to be a lot of bugs. However, at this point, a lot of the design stuff has been figured out and has has been implemented sufficiently that you don't have time to change large swaths of the game. Stuff that's there has kind of gotten rigid now. It's hard to make big changes or necessarily even stuff that seems like it wouldn't be a big change, but actually is. This is at the stage where also you might begin to fully understand how good your mechanics are or not. We're going to get into kind of what I'm talking about with that a bit further down or a bit later, I guess, in this cast. But just sort of the idea that if you've discovered a mechanic is bad, you might be too late to change it depending upon how big it is. Most definitely. One of the points with Alpha is that you've got a large portion of the game in there, and now you're looking at refining a lot of the things that you have in there at current, as well as continuing to fill out the development that's required from your GDDs and TDDs, possibly altering those to match. Yeah, a good example of kind of what Alpha State looks like, you can YouTube it and YouTube a comparison of the release game, but Dark Souls 2's network test is, I think, in my mind, a good example of an Alpha. They had a lot of the sort of stuff going on there. You can see where it's got a lot of similarities to the final game, but it's got some differences too. Uh, For example, pyromancies were associated with sorceries. They were cast from the same implement. Hexes and miracles were also both cast with the same implement. So there was a different divide there. They had different style of icons for their spells. The lighting engine was very different, and there was a big outcry when it got changed. As a a slight footnote to history, they had to change it because they were trying to release this game on the PS3 and the Xbox 360, which at that point were getting kind of ancient, so they just couldn't make it work. They couldn't survive that push of power. Yeah, well, for anybody who's played Dark Souls 1, you remember Lagtown. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, they wanted to try to avoid that. And unfortunately, that cost them a lot of that sort of graphical edge yeah. that they were uh, initially trying to achieve, which is what it is. But that's kind of, in my mind, a good example of an alpha. Um, once you've gotten all of the content in and, and refined and where you want it, you've reached beta. 
which is where you're mostly you're looking for bugs and you're trying to fix them. It's a pretty straightforward point. At, at this stage, you should have a pretty good idea of what the final game is going to look like. More likely than not, you're very close to that. Yeah, basically it's going to look like what your game does now with less bugs is, is kind of the idea. Now, it should be noted that bugs can be a very broad category. So this can include things like coding problems, but it can also include stuff like weird holes in the world geometry, objects that are kind of placed poorly and allow people to skip content. Or even legal issues, like having something that looks like it's the Marlboro, or rather the cigarette brand uh, image, and knowing that that could actually give you some issues. Yeah, that's actually a, a good point. There can be all sorts of things that cause weird problems. Typos also. Actually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I've known several people who have done video game testing, and one of the things you have to do is text checking. Oh, Lots yeah. of it. Oh, yeah. You'll go bleary-eyed, but, well, I won't say that your users will necessarily thank you entirely for it. They'll just dink you when they see it happen. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, sort of like sound effects, right? Oh, yeah. They don't notice good spelling. They notice bad spelling, just like they don't notice good sound effects, they notice the bad ones. Yeah, it's only audiophiles that will really recognize a really strong sound effects set. But it's also of note, I mean, some sound effects stand out so much that everyone recognizes them, but that's, that's rare. That's like lightsaber sounds, you know? Yeah, sure. I don't know why, but for some reason, what pops to my mind is randomly in Dark Souls 3, there is a mini boss that has a sound effect that I'm pretty sure comes from Doom. <laughs> it, it throws me off because it's such a recognizable sound from Doom that hearing it on something else is mentally disruptive. But anyway, after beta, you're striving for what we call gold. So the idea is your game is ready to ship. Everything that you can fix has been fixed. You are hopefully able to get everything done that you needed to get done, but you're probably not going to be able to get all of the bugs. There are a number of reasons for this. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those points that's very important to note with gold is that gold is a gold post that you actually set yourself on your team. Well, to an extent, unless you have a publisher, then your publisher is probably going to set a gold post. But what's important to note is that gold is when you say the product is done. It's not necessarily when the product is de facto, there's nothing else that can be done on it, although it'd be nice if you can reach that point. But really, it's when you say you are done. I'm pretty sure that point doesn't exist <laughs> see game stuck in infinite beta yeah so one of the things that's very tricky in any sort of creative medium is indeed calling something done because it's very easy for the creator to see spots where it could be a little bit better and continually strive to improve it now other people might not agree with the improving part i this is where we got the star wars special editions after all but calling something done is extremely important, not just from the standpoint of um, reaching uh, something that you can sell, but also from a sense of personal completion. Yeah, because once the product is done, you'll be able to look at it from a different perspective. And moreover, you'll be able to use what lessons you've learned on this product in a new setting from the ground up. And that can be an invaluable resource because sometimes there are lessons you can only learn by doing something. And then once you've done that thing, well, it's either go back and rebuild it from scratch or finish the thing you're working on and then make a better version of it if you were inspired to do so. Yeah. Uh, it should also be noted that not all bugs will necessarily be caught. 
or bugs that are caught are going to go into a priority queue, and some stuff there's just not time enough to finish before gold has to happen. Um, this is especially true with a publisher who has a specific deadline that the game is supposed to be out by and that the marketing's been built around. And that's actually a very important thing, is marketing campaigns kind of finalize deadlines in stone. So that kind of is an overview of the stages. I think it's important, though, to note that sort of how long the stages are going to take can be difficult to predict. And also, a lot of the sort of design that's laid out in the initial pre-production, it can be very difficult to change as the further and further you get in in development because it's more and more costly. You have more that you have to change and you have fewer resources to do it with. Because also, game mechanics, like I mentioned earlier, have to be experienced to be f- truly understood and to be fully understood and often in- experienced in context, it can be very difficult to determine how good or bad a mechanic is. So at some point in development, If a mechanic is of any sufficient size, which is not necessarily that large, depending, you might discover it's bad and be stuck with it because it's too late to change it. You don't have the resources to be able to do so. Keep in mind, if you wanted to change something, it's often not as easy as removing it. You also often have to replace it with something. Yeah, and that's not even considering the fact that when you change the thing, that may have many repercussions across the board reverberating through the rest of the code. Yeah, that's that's another potential complication. The other thing that makes it difficult is some mechanics only end up actually being good once they're fully implemented. Yeah. So when they're half done, it's they can look kind of bad, and it can be very difficult to judge if it's a mechanic that's going to end up still being bad once it's fully implemented versus become good when it's fully implemented. And fully implemented can include things like the full visual and sound design of it. Yeah, because that's a concept of look and feel because you can have something that it does everything you need it to do, but it just doesn't sound right. And that's because you haven't gotten the sound design in or it does everything you need it to do, but it doesn't look right. But once you actually have the character doing the move, it all clicks. It reminds me of a story. I think it might have been shared way back when we interviewed Warding Circle. I know I've definitely heard one of their members mention it, but this idea that Valve was developing a game and they had a gun in it. And when people use the gun, they're like, this gun's too weak. It's not, it doesn't feel very good. It feels very, very weak and pathetic. And they increased the damage and players kept saying the same thing. Then they changed the sound effect to be one with way more impact. And people were like, oh yeah, the gun feels great now. And it's important to understand that full package can be necessary to determine whether or not something is good or not. And your developers are often, especially at the beginning, not working with that full package. So that's just kind of something to keep in mind when you look at a game. You're like, wow, this mechanic is not very fun at all. Why did they do this? It's because they thought it would be and they were wrong. And they probably know, but by the time they discovered it, it was way too late to change it. Yeah, and that about covers it for the stages of... Uh, game development. Again, to go over them really quickly, uh, we have pre-production, which is figuring out what it is you're going to make and kind of laying out uh, laying out the different things that are going to be required for that and the governing principles on which it will be coded, arted, and um, designed. Then you have prototyping, which is taking those concepts and actually building them and trying to figure out, okay, is this good? Does this work? Or how do we need to implement this? What do we need to do on the coding side to make this work? What do we need to do on all of the different elements to make this work? Uh, Then you have first playable, which can be roughly described as a vertical slice of your product. Basically, this vertical slice indicates what play should look like in the rest of the game. 
and all of the basic elements that you need to get across what the concept of the game is are there. Um, but you just don't have all of the content. Moving on, we get to Alpha, where you have a large amount of your content, but there's still a few more things that need to be put in. Uh, you still got a lot more refinement to do. The design itself is pretty well in place. It's not fluctuating as much as it was during the first playable stage, but you're pretty close at this point. Then you get to beta. All of your content is there, and now all you're doing is you're bug hunting. You're looking for bugs, you're looking for the small refinements, you're trying to clean up and polish your game as much as possible um, before you get to the final stage, which is gold. And gold is your game is ready to ship. That doesn't necessarily mean that your game is in a perfect state, but what it does mean is your game is in a state that you feel it is acceptable to bring it out to the public. Yep. So with that uh, discussion, I hope you have gained some understanding as to how all of this sort of game development process works. Uh, keep in mind that this can stretch over years, so it definitely can be a lot of work, a lot of energy, a lot of effort, and a lot of dedication and a lot of uncertainty in the process. Please join us next week when we talk about some more of the elements of development, kind of what goes into it, not what the stages are, but who's working on those stages, what sort of roles they take, and what goes into that from a different sort of angle. Yeah, so come back with us next time. Uh, but for now, we're going to go ahead and sign off. So this is CNT here, signing off. And this is Redcoat, signing off. Play the games you want to play, boyos.